Thanks for coming, brother. Power rule, you already know, bro. Okay, yeah. um, let's jump right into it. First of all, uh, earlier this year, I heard that you did a, a, um, a interview and you said something that I thought was really intriguing. Uh, you shared that when you were in Cuba, that you won the lottery. Now, I want people to understand that we're not talking about a scratcher. Okay. Uh, can you share with the public, those who may know or may not know, the full story of uh, how that came about? Sure. Um, in the 1960s, uh, the, the, you know, the, I was about to say the United States, uh, the Cuban government gave uh, people who didn't agree with their politics and their way of thinking the opportunity to leave the island. In other words, be uh, we called it uh, for political reasons. Uh, we weren't political prisoners or anything, right, right. but we were. My parents didn't agree with it. So the the trick, uh, the thing was called the flights of liberty, and in order to get on the flights of liberty. Uh, you had to have children, the way my parents tell me the story went. Um, and so in 1964 or so, 63 maybe, my my older sister was born and her number, her lottery number didn't appear. Uh, and then in 1965, my brother Sen was born. His number didn't appear. In 1967 of April of that year, I was born and my number hit the lotto so, so, system. Uh, so are, are you saying that every time like your parents had a kid, they had an opportunity to, to win the lottery? Yeah. But again, if you don't ever hit the lottery, then you just created a mess for yourself. You can't feed a family of, if you get up to six kids, how are you going to do that? Wow. So you're digging yourself deeper and deeper and deeper. Right, right, right. And, and at that time, you know, to get on those flights of liberty, we did it through my birth number. Um, and that's at that time was considered the Cuban lottery. And we were, lo and behold, we were able to get on a flight in 1971. So it took four years before they let us leave. So, and, yeah. Well, from the time that you won it. Yeah. Well, from the time you were born, it took four years? Yeah. I'll tell you why. Because in the interim of those four years, they had stripped my father, the Cuban government stripped my father of his teaching credentials. And put him to work in the sugar canes and in the sewer system. Wow. And they would tell him and try to break his will. Like, why would you want to go to America and be a Yankee if this is these are the only kinds of jobs you're going to get? So they tried to break his will. But uh, my father already had a homeboy here uh, in the United States who had left in 65 or 60. I'm sorry, in, in 70, 1970. 1969-ish and had landed a job at Delta Airlines uh -huh. 
which he had already prepared a job for my dad to, to get when he got here. And lo and behold, my father, once we touched down here, worked for Delta Airlines for 33 years. Now, when you say down here, where, where was here? Oh, uh, Los Angeles, California. So from Cuba to L.A.? No. From Cuba, we went to Miami and got claimed by an uncle uh, when we came into the country. He then took us to New, New Jersey. Wow. And we spent a little bit of time there where the, when the American government gave my parents the choice between L.A., Miami, Chicago, and New York. They wanted to stay away from the snow in New York and, and, Miami, and, uh, and Chicago. And they want to stay away from the hurricanes because right. they dealt with a lot of that in Cuba. And, you know, in, in Los Angeles, they said, well, what happens in Los Angeles, in California? They, well, they said, you know, the ground shakes a little bit every 20 years. But aside from that, the weather's perfect, perfect yeah. year round. And so they chose that. So Cuba, Florida, New Jersey, and from Jersey. How long were you in Jersey for? It had to be only months. Okay. Only months, yeah. And then from Jersey to here? To what was called at that time... Man, uh, Los Angeles best describes, yeah. So, so okay, I know you're from Southgate, and everybody's in the rap game. I was game. raised in Southgate, Right, yeah. you were raised in Southgate. So, like, when you came from Jersey, did you come immediately to Southgate? No. Okay. No, we we went, I don't even know the name, Walnut Park, I think it's called. Okay. Over by, uh, off of Florence Avenue and Miramani Street. Okay. That's where we rented a, a couple of rooms from an elder lady, uh, and that's where I spent my first year or okay. two years. First year before my parents got a, a little apartment in Southgate. Okay. Yeah. Now that's where you know we had to share blankets. Me and Sand Dog fighting all the whole even thing. Even yeah. too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Switching up. Yeah. Now, now let me say this. Okay, I'm saying this. You're not saying this. If you never win the lottery. There's a possibility there is no Cypress Hills. Very strong, yeah. Okay. That's why, in my opinion, that star in Hollywood, again, I'm saying this, is also yours, okay? Um, so now, moving along, so about, around what year do you think you started living in Southgate? Yeah, um, that had to be 1970. Going in 73. So you must have been made, what, about 12? No, I was less than that. I was about seven. Oh, okay. About seven years old. Okay. Now, now here's something interesting. Around what, what kind of music was going on around that time that you can remember? Because obviously hip-hop wasn't out yet. No. No, no, no. At, at that time, of course, my father played all salsa records. Right. Folk, folk records from Cuba. Uh, Oquesta Aragón, Celia Cruz the more popular ones. And and then when, you know, we turn on the radio, um, we'd hear stuff like a do run, 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 a do run, run. And, right. and, and we'd hear records like, um, you know, uh, what's that? What's that joint that was playing all over the radio in the red in the seventies. It was like, <clears throat> ba baby come back yeah yeah by the you players. can blame it all on me yeah, by yeah, the way, you know great voice. and you uh, could hear records like that so it was mostly soft rock and stuff like that, that that we would hear you know right right infectious records like reminiscing by little river band stuff like that that's dope you know the reason why i asked is because when my parents first came from mexico 
they came to Compton. Even though I was born here in Torrance, the city of Torrance, when they came from Mexico, they lived in Compton, then I was born. And I remember one of the first records that I ever saw my dad play was a 45, and it was the Monster Mash. You know, I was just sure, a kid, sure. you know, and then after that, he'll play nothing Spanish songs like Los Panchos. And then he started playing a lot of 50 songs like uh, Frankie Valley, sure. you know, and those type of songs. So that's what I heard growing up. Now, if we speed things up a little bit around what time uh, um, around how old were you? I should say that you started getting into the either the funk, the hip hop, the popping or the breaking. Uh, uh, you know, what, what do you what encouraged uh, uh, that? Honestly, I think. My father wasn't was encouraging encouraging me and Sendar to be athletes. So my sister Myra, who was the oldest and was already going to junior high and high school, mm-hmm. she got the trends first because she was the oldest to enter the school system. Mm-hmm. She came back with this music called disco Dope. first and disco forty fives like Donna Summer and you know Gloria Gaynor and right. whoever the hell else was popping at that time there were so many good groups in the disco genre she got into disco first and then she'd bring those records home and play them for me and send dog and our little sister was just a little girl at the time um so that transition happened i would have to say be i mean we just into disco first and then it went into like Funk in Parliament, Funkadelic, and, and opening those albums, those double-sided yeah. albums that would open up like that. You know, Brides of Funkenstein, all that. Yeah. Isley Brothers. Now, this is where it gets... It sets me up for my life and how I'm going to think for later on. The Isley Brothers, the Brothers Johnson, the Jets, the uh, anything that was family-related, uh, Chic, uh Sister Sledge, all these groups would help me to think later that if I make it, bring all my brothers and sisters, the Jackson Five, you know, all these things, all these family related groups really drew my attention that she would bring those records home and you can open up that Go For Your Guns album by the Isley Brothers and see all the Isley Brothers together on stage with the fog machine hitting them crazy. That was those were very impactful records. That's dope because you know what? I look at your shows today. Well, I mean, from the very beginning when I became a fan of you, or even before I ever met you, I would see your sisters, your brothers all dancing, even on our senior hall, you know. Yes. And today you have your son not only producing, but also DJing for you. Yeah. You, you, Your shows have always been real family oriented. And I think that's what separates you from a lot of people. Thank you, you know. Thank you. Uh, I take now, pride in that. I really do. Yeah, most definitely. Now, around what time, what grade were you when you first saw or heard a popping? Because I remember I was like in sixth grade. Yeah. And and to be fun, to be honest with you, the first guy that I ever saw pop was Boogaloo Shrimp, who spoke yeah. here from Wilmington. Sure. And the way he was moving his body, the way he was waving, because during that time, there was no arm wave. It was just stomach wave and, you know, popping and ticking and boogaloo, sure. et cetera. But around what age do you think you saw that? I'm a little older than you. Right. I think right. I got you by a year or two. By maybe, a year, yeah. Right? Um, but still, nonetheless, it was all happening at the same time. I, I would have to say, I mean, there were local dudes in 1978, 79. Uh-huh that I saw most of them were Mexican guys mm-hmm. that were pop locking like Matias over from Watts. 
and you had Sehas over in um, Huntington Park. You had Wizard also from Huntington Park, rest in peace. These dudes were bad. Right, right. And before I even had seen Boogaloo Shrimp get down, there was a Puerto Rican dude by the name of Joey. He's call him Junebug. He's resting in peace as well. He came from the Bronx, hmm. but he, he wasn't a breaker. He was a popper. Right, And he right. was vicious. Dope. And he was vicious. And, and those were the first guys that I saw get down okay. first, you know, out in the street battling. Right. Yeah. Well, well, the reason why I asked that is because all of that is music orientated. You know, that kind of, I feel that kind of set us up to where we're at now. Uh, uh, for an example, I remember my friend, his name was Mike. He introduced me to Michael Chambers. And I remember I befriended him and I spent like the whole summer following him around with a boombox, cassettes. Uh, uh, I remember one of his favorite songs was uh, Computer Games by Yellow Magic Orchestra. Okay. And he taught me how to pop. Again, there was no arm wave. That's when I think that popping was at its purest form because after the arm wave came out, everybody started their moves off just with the arm wave and then they would go down, bring it back up, yeah. et cetera. So I think that was my introduction to not only popping, but eventually breaking and eventually- What, what year was that for you? Wow. Well, I want to say I was about 11 or 12 years. No, I, I had to be about 10 years old. I had okay. to be because my very first job was with Steve Yano at the uh, Vermont Swamp Meet in the city of Gardena across the street from yes. Ascot. So we're talking about 1978, yes. 79. Yes. And, and the reason time. why I got my job with him is because I remember my older brother, he was a DJ, and he used to go by his record. So one day I just followed him, and I said, where are you going? And he said, well, I'm going to go to Steve's Dan. I go, who's Steve? Uh, some Japanese guy. So I went over there, and he. I remember he played a song called Wicca Rap. Yeah. Okay? Sure. And I started popping in front of his stand. Yeah, yeah. I drew a crowd, and uh, Steve, like, was, what people were asking, what song is that? What song is that? Mm -hmm. So he calls me over, and he tells me, hey, man, uh, you want a job? And I said, well, what do I got to do? He said, can you pick up one of these record crates? And I said, yeah. Picked it up, and he said, um, uh, well, I'll pay you 20 bucks, you know, to work uh, uh, Saturday and Sunday. So I'll pay you on Sunday 20 bucks, $10 yeah. a day. I mean, and during that during that time at the Swami, I was just thinking about video games, you know. So I'll use that money for video games. Okay. But I was about eleven years old because that was my. Now we're talking about not video games like people know video games today. We're talking about pinball put a, machines, put and, a quarter, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know the pinball, Galaga, where you had to stand up to play video games, right, 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 okay, yeah. So yeah, so that was my introduction to first uh, uh, working, selling, dealing with vinyl and cassettes. You know, that, that, that was, and I realize now that all of that was setting me up to where I am now. That's why I'm asking about when you got here, you're popping. Now I want to speed things along and, uh, around what time or what encouraged you or what did you hear or what did you see that encouraged you that possibly maybe you could start rhyming, rapping? Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's, yeah, I tell this frequently. It's, um, after watching the movie Wow Style in 1981 in there, I think yeah. it was, 1982 maybe. Um, but I had already heard a dude by the name of Mr. Schick uh -huh. of a group called The Mean Machine. The song was called Disco Dream. And he was the first Latino that I ever heard bust a small portion of Spanish rap. So I was already like, yo, what is this? Right, right, right. And by... Age 15, I think I was, I don't know, 
10th grade, 11th grade, mm-hmm. and about to go into 11th grade is when I first wrote my first rhyme. Do, do you remember that rap that you heard that encouraged you? Yeah, well, absolutely. How did it go? I want to hear it. It goes, um, le, uh, le comienzo fresas a este ritmo, si que santo le fascina. And then it goes in from right. there, and he's like, and it was Wepa, Spanish. wepa, ahí na ma, y la gente de frente está caliente, wepa, wepa, ahí na ma. And so, but it was only a small part toward the end of the record. Right, right. And I always uh, say to myself, and the first time I heard it, I was at at, at Tomahawk Funk's house. Right, from Funk uh, Dubious. From Funk Dubious. Uh, you know, we all grew up together. So that's the first time, and he played it. He had the tape so, on that. Even though it wasn't on Wild Style, we were get, gathering all this information and intel at the same time. Because, you know, back right. then you had right, to right. clip out newspaper articles or wait till Funky 4 Plus One More or somebody was on the David Letterman show and you throw your VCR tape in there and try to tape it. Yeah, yeah. So this is all in that time frame. So um, in 10th grade, I wrote my first rhyme. It was called Classroom 109 because that's the classroom I was in when right, I wrote right. it. Now, now, what was your rapping name at that time? Like, did you have one? My first rap name was MC Frosty. Frosty? Frosty. Now, what encouraged that? From being a B-boy just prior to that. Okay, okay. Now, the reason why I asked that is because I was a huge, well, I still am, a Dr. Dre fan when he came out with the world-class wrecking crew, Dr. Dre in surgery. So I just thought the name Dr. was dope. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Now, I tried bombing on the walls, you know, which is graffiti for these kids that don't know possibly what bombing was sure. back then. So they, what do we call it? Tagging? Yeah. Uh, uh, and I remember I called myself Dr. Scratch. You okay. Know? I, I was, you, know, you know, it was a hey, stupid it's your name. early days, you right. know. And I remember I bombed yeah. it up and somebody yeah. took a Polaroid and I was trying to bust a, a B-boy move because back then I wanted to be from New York like so bad. Who you know, did it? Yeah. yeah. It started from there. Yeah. So what from, from MC Frosty, what brought, was there another name after that? There was Ace Cool. Ace Cool, and what did say pretty much from Frosty, Ace Cool, where did you get the Ace from? The Ace came from playing baseball. Okay. Because I was mostly, every team I played on, I was the Ace of the staff. Oh. In other words, if we had the hard teams to play, put me on the mound, I'll get these motherfuckers out. You know what I mean? So. Oh. And I was, I had a good curveball and all that kind of stuff, so the Ace stuck. And then when I heard LL Cool J in 86, I went with the Ace Cool, oh. right? And it was Tomahawk Funk again later during a freestyle uh, session on our block who who called me uh, Mellow Man Ace for the first time. Wow. Yeah. That's dope. Now, you know, it's something about three names. For an example, you had Cool Rock Ski, yeah. Cool Moldy, yeah. Prince Marky D. Sure. Grandmaster Flash, True. and then now you have Mellow Man Ace. Yeah, yeah. Was, was there a reason for those three names? Yeah, I mean, everybody had three names, you know, at okay. that time. Big Daddy Kane, LL Cool J, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's really what it was, Grandmaster Kaz, three syllables, you know. Yeah. Uh, cool Modi, like you said, and, and that was part of what it was, you know. That's dope. So now, your brother, and a lot of people may know or may not know that Sendog from Cypress Hill is your your brother. It's okay? my blood brother, yeah. Your blood brother. And who re- who was rapping first? Was it at the same time? Did he come after you? Did you come after him? You know what? I, I really can't 
remember. We might have started at the same time. Okay. You know, because we were really close at that time. Uh-huh. And it was, you know, it was us against the world at that time. Okay, now, now, because I remember when I first started listening to rap. Obviously, the very first rap song that I ever heard was uh, Sugar Hill Gang. Okay. And then it went on. Actually, my second one was Blondie Rapture. Okay. Uh, with It had Fat Five Freddy in the, sure, in the yeah, song, the absolutely. video. And then from there. There's it, so many guys in that video. Yeah. Iconic dudes. Yeah. Yeah. Ram LZ's in there. Basquiat is in that video. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And so I saw hip hop evolve, and especially when we heard songs like Planet Rock, that was the more up tempo, what people called back then either electro funk or techno hop. And, uh, and then Grandmaster Flash, uh, uh, and the Furious Five. The I, message. Man, I remember yeah. when I heard the message, it just like really, really rocked my world. It scared the crap out of me. It, really it, 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 it was awesome, you know. Uh, you know, we didn't call it gangster rap. We call it either reality rap or we were saying they're talking, you know, the, the truth, you know, yeah. that's, that's real right there. So, um, after, after you, Mel, Man, Man Ace, uh, how did Sen get his name? I mean, Sen Dog, just because he was the homie. What up, Dog? Did, did he just put those names together, or no? He he started out as MC Haji Sheik and because uh, he was a big along. well, he was a big Egyptian lover fan. Hmm. Egyptian lover Haji Sheik, you know, kind of okay goes. Um, did you think he was any good? Who your brother? On, on the mic, yeah. At that time, we weren't really looking at each other like that. We were just trying to get better, right? Trying to start somewhere, you know. And uh, so we weren't really like, at least for me, I wasn't competing with right, him. Right. Oh, was who's better? Can I rock, rock right, him? Right. Can he rock me? Uh, it was just basically more having somebody to to rhyme with, right? Right. You okay. know, and, and and we went together to battles and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. That's what I thought. That's I was going to say. Did you guys ever freestyle? Attend any cyphers or like you said battles? We battled a lot early yeah. on. I mean, that was part of it, part right, of the culture right. at that time. Now we're talking about 1983, 84, 85. Okay. You know. Now, were your parents ever against either you guys rapping or listening to rap? No. Okay. No. Reason why I say that, because I remember when I first started listening to rap, my brother, because I have five brothers and four sisters. And one of my brothers used to always like, turn that shit off. You know, yeah. that's a fad. It's going to pass. And like 40 something years later, it's still here. Here we are. It's, yeah. It's universal, you know. So, uh, uh, but yeah, I, I came from parents that uh, we weren't allowed to talk English at home. You know, el en inglés se habla afuera. Aquí se habla puro español. Yeah. So that's how my parents raised me. So I wasn't allowed to talk English. So when we played English music, it was somewhat even for, somewhat forbidden, at least for me it was. Okay. You know, so that's why I asked were your parents ever against it? Because they just didn't really understand it. Even though there wasn't really no cussing, they just yeah. thought it was stupid. I remember my dad would tell me one day, que eso? Like that's how he described rap. Yeah, yeah. You know? So I was like, you don't understand, you know, because this was a whole different of genre that was barely coming in and it was new to everyone. And let's be honest, we were attracted to it and we loved it and we loved it. So, so now we're on what street or where at in Southgate are you guys living at around this time that we're talking about? Uh, when we started rhyming, yes. it was 19, well, we moved to Cypress Ave in 1979 
after my parents were able to save up enough money to buy their first house. Remember, we're Cuban refugees. We came with the clothes on our back from another country. So they were able to save up enough money, bought our house on Cypress Ave. And so that's pretty much where, where we, it all started for, for us rhyming, for me and my brother. Right, right. Uh, and I hope I answered your question right. No, I no, no, I, all, all good. Okay, you know, I remember I started doing mixtapes for Steve in 1987, okay? And because to my boy Flair, because he was there at my house, when Flair, who's a cartoons homie as well, told Steve, play that one so rap song that's all in Spanish. And and I, my ears went like this, okay? And I said, all in Spanish? Yeah. You know, because I grew up in a house where my dad played nothing but Spanish music. Sure. So I'd never heard anything like that. And he said, oh, okay, that's that guy, uh, Mellow Man A. So Steve digging, you know, here it is, you know, how Steve used to talk. Yeah. So we played it. The beat came on. Okay, I was digging it. And then, cuando entro la casa, esto lo que pasa. It rocked my world, bro. I had never heard anything like that. That's Thank when you. I became a fan of Mellow Man A. I remember. It. Appreciate it. I remember. I, uh, I don't know if it was late 87 or early 88, but 87 yeah. is when I started doing mixtapes. Okay. So I remember I told Steve, I want that record. Yeah. I took it and it was at the end of the night and, uh, uh, I was teaching a wedding. And the guy said, what are you going to play last? This is the groom, the guy who just got married. And I said, yeah. you're going to like this. <laughs> the dance floor was packed. Okay. Yeah. And I remember I, I put it on. Yeah. And then you started rapping. Everybody stopped and just looked at me. Okay. Yeah. And I'm like sweating now because, you know, you don't want to clear the dance floor. Yeah. Yeah. Know? And then all of a sudden they all start dancing slowly and slowly and listening to the lyrics and people started coming up to me. Who's that? That's Mellow Manny's. That's Mellow Manny's. That's yeah. Mellow Manny's. But, Crazy. Uh, yeah. But that's when, uh, uh, I first heard of you. I hadn't even seen you yet. I had met Julio, uh, first. Uh, my, my parents selling at the, uh, Vermont Swami. There was a guy named Eric that used to sell, uh, pants and Julio G. Julio G from K Day. Yeah. Uh, you used to sell with him right across from me. Now, mm -hmm. uh, before we go to break, let me share this quick story. Joe Cooley, I had already met Joe Cooley. I was about 15 years old when I met him. I used to, uh, Joe Cooley used to make me and my brother mixtape, just him cutting and scratching. Yeah. I would play him. Julio G would listen to him and he would come to my stand and he would say, Who's that? That's my boy Joe Cooley. He said, Would you sell me that mixtape? And I said, 10 bucks. So I just dubbed him. Yeah. Like I said, he'll give it to him. Okay. So that's how I met uh, uh, Julio. About a year later, Julio now talks to me about you. I know okay. Melo Manes, and I was like, the guy, you know, Mas Pingon guy? Yeah. Well, now, speeding things up, I go visit Steve at the Rhodium. As I'm leaving with a handful of records, I see Julio walking up, and I see him, and I see you. I know you don't remember this because I shared this with you before. Yeah. And uh, I said, hey, who's that dude right there? And he said, oh, that's Melo Manes. And I'll, I'll be honest with you. Even though I was DJing and working with Dre and Easy, I was kind of like, that's the dude right there, man. You know. <laughs> but we'll come back to that. All right. Okay. Uh, we're about to go to break. You're about to hear some music that has been in the vault from 1996 to 97. This was an album that was supposed to be released uh, in 1998. And the album was supposed to be called uh, 1990 Ace. This was the al uh, songs that I produced for Mellow Man. 
and it features the first song you're going to hear is called Sippin' and Trippin'. The song you're going to hear soon after that is called Don't Go. The second one was somewhat of a demo still, but the first one was complete and it was mixed down. And it features a young Latina by the name of JV. So maybe you know her, JV from uh, The Neighborhood Queen. She was signed to Thump Records. The Baker Boys had produced her. But uh, she, uh, uh, Melo did a song with her. Melo managed to be trained JV, Sippin' and Trippin'. And soon after that, you'll see Don't Go. You'll hear Don't Go. And all these songs were locked in the vault for since 1997. So uh, if you like them, cool. Leave a comment. Yes, I like it. No, I don't like it. I don't give a damn. Just leave a comment. Yeah, we don't. We don't. We don't care at this yeah, point. Yeah, I, I mean they're old songs, but enjoy. After that, we'll go to a commercial, and then we're gonna come back in about ten minutes. So stay tuned. So once again, yes, sir. so we were talking about how uh, now your mellow man Ace, your brother's rapping, uh, being gone. Now, how did that song come about? What actually encouraged you to write that song? Like, like first of all, who produced that beat? The, I believe it was the uh, the Dust Brothers okay. who produced that beat. Um, How were you introduced to them? Through DJ Muggs. And actually. how did you meet him? We met Muggs through <laughs> our boy Skeeter the Repeater Cheater. Okay. We used to call him that because every time he rhymed, he, he'd say the same shit over and over and over again. Right, right. Um, his real name was Eli Rodriguez. So I, I won't tell you how that whole blend right, came right, about because right. it gets nutty and I don't put nobody on blast. But he knew this girl and Muggs was her, their friend and they were all from Brooklyn and Queens and all that. And so when we met Muggs, he fit right into how rugged we were and how B-boy you know, mentality that we had, he matched that. Hmm. And at the time he was from Queens, but he had moved to Bell Gardens. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. so Muggs took me up to Delicious Vinyl on a day that he was tracking with 7A3. Right, right. For a song called Mad Mad World. Now, Mad that, Man World. Was yeah. that before Y? That's before Y for the, the soundtrack of Colors. Oh, movie okay. Colors, yeah. yeah. That's dope, man. That's yeah, and if you see the cover, it's me, Send Dog, and Be Real getting shot at in the alley. That's, yeah. That's dope, man. It's crazy. And about how old were you now around that time? Oh, now I'm about 19. Okay, 19. And so now you go to Delicious Vinyl, you meet the Dust Brothers. So yeah. did they just toss you a track? Uh, uh, did they hear you rapper? Did you try out? You know. Well, really, I was supposed to just be a fly on the wall there because <laughs> it wasn't my session. It was Muggs' session. And But what happened was Mike Ross and, and, and Matt Dyke, rest in peace, came out of the kitchen area where he kept all his vinyls and all that. And right doing his thing out there partying with Basquiat and guys like that, you know. And he came out and, and he said, yo, we just started a record company. It's called Delicious Vinyl. And we just signed a guy by the name of Tone Loke. Yeah. And another guy, he goes to USC. His name is Young MC. And I was like, yeah, that's that's cool and everything. But I rap and I rhyme in Spanish too. And they were like, what? Right, right. You rhyme in Spanish? And I did a little something. Did you already have that song written? I had that song written. That was one of my battle records that I would battle in Southgate. And anybody who wanted to battle, I'd, I'd either battle in English or battle in Spanish or both sometimes. And, right? And, but no specific beat to it. No specific beat. It could adapt to any kind of Okay. Tempo. I'm asking this because now you're talking to a fan. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. So. Thank you, brother. Uh, 
But no, it was no no type of of beat in particular. It was just it's something that you had on deck, loaded yeah. in the chamber, ready to go. And so I did that Spanish rhyme, and they were like, "Yo, man, that's deaf. You're like the Spanish LL Cool J, yo. You know what I mean? Right, right. And so they were like, "Why don't you come back tomorrow? We'll put you on some tracks." And see how you sound. And if you sound dope, then you, we'll give you a single deal or whatever. Wow. Now, 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 so. now coming from the streets, how does that sound? Coming Like, they're offering you a deal. You know, because obviously, see, I believe people like me and you, we did this because we loved it. I, I never chased dollars. I never chased money. I've always not only told people, but I told my son, I said, don't ever chase money. If you have talent and you release, whether it's a good record, a good beat, or a good rap... M- money will come knocking, you know, money will come. If you're dope, money will come. People will hear of you. Sure. You know, it's, it's kind of like I say, you don't have to promote a fire. People just see it. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, um, h- how did that feel that now you-, you came from, you know, popping, battle rapping, and now you're writing songs and somebody says, we'll give you a single deal. Well, I mean, for me, it was, it was difficult because, on one hand, you know, my father had kicked me out of the house Okay. at that time. Been there. And, he, you know, he, he's probably right. I didn't want to hold a job. And in my dad's house, you had to have a job. Anyway, I'm, I'm living at the hood house. And I kind of needed it to happen because before that, myself, Sen, and, and Muggs had, had gone to some meetings where, you know, musical... Older dudes were trying to take advantage of us, give us record deals, but take all of our publishing right, and all that right, kind of writers, stuff. And yeah. Muggs was really smart and pivotal at that time. He was like, no, we're not taking that deal. No, we're not taking that deal. Well, now I'm kicked out of the house, and I need right. I, I need to get back in good graces with my folks. Right. Now, now so, when we're saying Muggs, we're saying the producer, of the future producer of Cypress Hill. Right. For, right. for those that may not know. Right. At this time, I, I believe Muggs was my first DJ in the game. Okay. Muggs was my first DJ. And, and dope DJ. I've seen him live. Oh, yeah. He, he kills it. And so I, I'm kind of in need at this time. Yeah. I, I need to get in back with my family and I'm living at the hood house. So I kind of jumped the gun and, and went in for it. Uh-huh. I went. And that meant having to leave San and B, you know, and, and, we'll and the get whole back to that. Yeah. structure of what we had going on. Um, so that so, was a little difficult. Now, now, what were they offering you at that time? You know, because it was an independent label. I'll tell you exactly know. what it was. It was a single deal for $2,000. For $2,000. $2,000. And, you know, that seemed... Now... <laughs> seems really, really... You know what I mean? For somebody who comes from dirt floors and yeah. not much... Yeah. Now, this is the word that we don't like to hear. Was it recoupable? Yes. Okay. Now, for those that may not know what a recoupable is, means that if they give you an advance, it could be $50,000. It could be $100,000. And a lot of times, rappers or artists jump because they say, wow, they're offering me this much money. But they don't understand what recoupable means, meaning that once your record sells, 
the company takes back that money that they gave you uh, uh, up front. Absolutely. So you don't start collecting any type of royalties. Until that $2,000 paid up. Until the 2000 or the budget for the video, the budget maybe for magazines, yeah. the photo shoot. Yes. So you're pretty much, in a you sense. start in a hole. We start in a hole. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. Th- I, I just wanted to share that to people that didn't know how we had it. Yeah, you know, back then, because today's sure. totally different. Today, you know, you could just tattoo your face and paint your hair weird, throw on some skinny jeans, take a picture of yourself, load it up on YouTube, and go viral. You're in there, you know. Yeah. So, so you record Mas Bingon. Was there another song? Because uh, I know on the single, it was "Let's Do This," the English version. Mm-hmm. Did you have that one already written, or did you have to translate it? "Let's Do This" was something I wrote after. Okay. Because they like the Spanish stuff, but they're like, can you do a translation of it on the mm-hmm. flip? And since I couldn't translate the words mas pingon, right. really, uh, we just called it let's do this. Okay. I'm lean, mean, and 501 jeans. I'm from L.A. My DJ's from Queens. All of this is a production of DJ Mutt, something like that. Right. Yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah. That was, shit was dope. Now, let's back up a little bit because I don't want to miss this. Uh, around what year or around what age were you when you met B-Real? And, and was he rapping already? Nah, when I met B, he wasn't rapping yet. And his name wasn't B yet either. Okay. Um, we, remember I told you we were in Breakdance Crew and, right. okay. and whatnot? And B was in, we were in the same Breakdance Crew. Okay. Right? But he wasn't rhyming yet. And what happened was, the breakdance crew seemed really content just getting girls after the battles and right. doing that kind of stuff. But at the same time, movies like Beach Street and Crush Groove had come out. Yeah. And it kind of affected me and my brother different. And we were like, whoa, we could take this to the big screen one day if we play yeah. our cards right. Yeah. So one day I went up to the high school where they was chilling at. And I and I, I got B and I said, yo, come on, you coming with me. We're going to do this for real. Mm-hmm. And I called out everybody in the group and I was in the crew, and I said, "If anybody got something to say, step up right now." You know, right, I, was, right. I was really gully like that at a young age. You know what I mean? And nobody stepped up. I took be real, I took him back on my block, and I introduced him to my brother at that time. Okay, okay. This is nineteen eighty-five. Okay, in there, nineteen eighty-five. Now, was that the beginning of Cypress Hill? No. Okay. No, no, no. We were called DVX. We put it all together as DVX, and we had uh, a member from Huntington Park who used to run with NWA. His name was Crazy D. Crazy D, yeah. And Crazy D, he would go and mess with Easy and Dre and them, and then he'd come on our block because he knew we were really serious like they were. Right. And so we called ourselves DVX, which stood for Devastating Vocal Excellence. Mm -hmm. And that's the beginning of... How the even the Cypress thing gets okay. brought so, up later. So you end up leaving, if you will, that to do Mas Pingon. And then soon after, you went, or how did that come about for you to transition to Capital? Sure. Well, I was, uh, Delicious Vinyl put me on the road with Tone Loke, Young MC, and a guy from New York by the name of T. Rock, who had a hot record at the time called It's Yours. Yeah. And we're doing San Diego State University. And we thought we'd made it, bro. Like, we're on tour, you know? We get there, and it's about 10 people in total. It was very humbling. 
Yeah, it was, but we still gave it 120% on stage. Yeah. After we're done with the set, I got approached by a man by the name of Kenny Ortiz who said, I'm a representative from Capitol Records. I drove all the way out here to see what you're about. I love what I see. Give me a call on Monday. We want to sign you. I'm like, well, hold up because I'm already signed at Delicious Vinyl. Right, right. And he was like, no, 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 don't worry about it. We'll buy out the contract. So, so that's how that transition happened. You know, I like that you said that there was about 10 people there and you still went out there and gave it 100. Reason why that means a lot to me is because when I was signed to Hollywood Records, which is owned by Disney, yeah. uh, the reason why I bring that up was because Queen, before Freddie Mercury passed away, uh, Hollywood Records bought, well, I should I say signed Queen for one last album. And, uh, Freddie Mercury agreed to sell all of their writers, if you will. So Hollywood Records literally owns all of the Queen catalog. Okay. So when they had their record release party, they had it at the Queen Mary. And I met all of them except Freddie Mercury. And of course, I talked to, the, if I'm correct, his name was Brian, the, the guitar player. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just started asking him questions. I was about 22 years old. Yeah. You know, I remember I took my brother Mario with me and I asked him, you know, how was Freddie Mercury? You know, I, I just, and he said, oh, well, he was a nice guy. And I said, okay. I said, was he a great performer? I said, I never got to see you guys live. And he said this, and it stuck with me, and, and it sounds pretty much what you just said. He said, one thing about him, if there was 20 people, he would always perform as if there were 10,000 people. He gave it all he got every show. And that means a lot because I've been backstage with well-known rappers, and they'll look in the crowd and they'll see 50 people out there. And those 50 people paid their money to see you perform. Yeah. And they'll go out there and they'll say, oh, we'll just give them a bullshit show. Yeah. You know, I performed in front of 20 people. And I remember telling High C, this, this is dress rehearsal. Let's just go out there and give it all. Mm -hmm. And those people walked away saying, that show was the shit. You know, we gave them their money's worth. So I'm glad that, that you guys did that because that's why you're still in the game because... When people come see you, they get their money's worth. Hey, you know? thank you, brother. Yeah, man. I mean that, and you know, of course, there's that thing called perseverance and exactly. all that other stuff. But yeah, but I think the the principle in that is still going hard when it looks grim, mm -hmm. you know. And I ha I had no idea the Capital Rec uh, rep was going to be there, you know. And neither did the guys, right. you know. And at that time. You know, Muggs was my DJ, Sen and B were dancing for me and whatnot, and we would just kind of intermix it like that. Right. And, and that's one thing that a lot of people don't know, that everybody had to start somewhere. Like you just said, be real and send dog, we're dancing for you. Yeah. You know, as a matter of fact, you can go on Rhyme Fighter video and see be real dancing in the background. Yeah. Okay. But we all had to start somewhere. Um, the bad thing is people deny it, you know, but when there's video out yeah, there, yeah, of you, course. you can't, you can't yeah, deny it, you, you know. You just... I mean, I'm the not facts gonna, are the facts. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm like, not going to deny that I was nothing Dr. To, Scratch. to be ashamed about in that. Yeah. You know, like you said, everybody starts somewhere. You know what I mean? So now you're at Capitol Records. Yeah. And obviously, they they signed you because they liked Maspingon. Yeah. What I like about that is that back then we had risk takers. Yeah. Because if your record would have flopped at Capitol Records... People would have told Capitol Records, what the hell are you doing signing a guy who raps on all in Spanish? You yeah. must be crazy. 
Yeah. You must be insane. You know, but they took the chance with you. Now, if you don't I, mind me- I give that credit more to Delicious Vinyl than okay. Capitol Records because Delicious Vinyl was like a minor league system for the majors okay. like Capitol. And, and I think they saw a diamond in the rough that just needed to be polished. You know okay. what I mean? Like the minor league system in baseball or whatever, right? Right. Or like the D League in basketball. Okay. You know, but, you know, it does take a degree of risk taking, right. you know, to take it to another level. Yeah, sure. Okay. So now you get signed to Capitol Records. Yeah. Now, if you don't mind me asking you, what was that deal like? What did they offer the you? The deal was great for that time. Um, they Well, and I probably would have got the other money too. But first they bought out my delicious vinyl deal. Um, and I want to say it was in the neighborhood of 45000 if I remember the paperwork correctly. And then they gave me an additional 90000 on top of that. 90, of which I was very smart with. I only took home 10000 and I invested 80000 planted a seed of 80000 So I was bound to see a harvest, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And I paid people like DJ Muggs, Tony G, the Dust Brothers, Def Jeff, Johnny Rivers, you know, to produce it. Okay, now Tony G, when I first heard of him, like everybody else, he was from the KD Mix Masters, and, and an amazing, an amazing DJ. Uh, and I use amazing only for a few people. Uh, for, you know, Joe Cooley. Yeah. Tony G. And then when I first saw Grandmaster Flash on TV scratching behind his back. Sure. You know, so I always say about, about either rappers or DJs or producers, some people learn to be good and then some people that are just naturals at it. Tony G was just a natural. Mm -hmm. When did you meet him that you teamed up to do your most famous song, if you will? Well, here's how that happened. Julio G went to the same high school as I did. Which was? Southgate High School. And he was in a rival breakdance crew. So one year he started dabbling with the turntables. So then during the the time I get signed at Delicious Vinyl, Muggs is working with 783. I still needed to do some shows. Mm -hmm. So I went to Julio G and I said, you know, join us here. I need you to come cut and do this whole thing. Hold me down. It was Julio G who then turned me on to Tony G. Okay. He always said, yo, we're brothers. Me and Tony G are brothers and blah, blah, blah. That's my boy. Well, Julio's Puerto Rican uh, and, and, and Tony's Cuban. Okay. So when I met him on a Cuban level, that made a lot of sense. Okay. You know what I mean? So you're recording now the um, your album with Capital. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what songs... Uh, what producers first did you work with? Because I know you used Def Jeff on In La Casa, yeah. which was one of my favorite songs. Good looking out. Uh, and then you also did Welcome to My Groove, which was yeah. produced by Tony. Yeah. Around what point in time did they make that also? Was that one of the last songs, songs in the middle? Was it one of the first songs? I want to say it was toward the end. Okay. Toward the end, and I hated it. Really? I hated it because it, it wasn't hip hop, and it, it it called for a very slow cadence rhyme style wise. Right, right. And when you get a, a cadence that slow, your best bet is to try to tell a story. Right. Right. And and that that part about it, I didn't like, you know, okay. the slowness of the tempo. Right. But I think the most difficult part was creating the bilingual style, the Spanglish style that, you know. Yeah. You a know, lot of because people have used. I heard I had heard it. And, and this is pretty much in a row how I heard your songs. Mas Pingon, then I heard Hip Hop Creature, 
mm-hmm. uh, which is a sample from Rush, if I'm correct. Yes. Uh, Peter Piper, was it? Uh, Smoke on the Water? What I'm not thing? sure. We'll yeah, one of that those. Up. Tom Sawyer. Tom Sawyer. There Tom you go. Tom Sawyer. Then you have uh, Ryan Fighter, which to me, you came like totally different with your voice. Yeah. Man, I, I thought, I was a huge fan. I Like I said, I didn't really even know you yet. Yeah. And then after that, I heard, and like I said, now all these songs I'm putting on the Rhodium mixtapes. You know, Got I'm really pushing this out. this Latino guy that's rapping in Spanish because for me it was like, okay, we're we're here, we're in. And I would use your songs as a vehicle to let people know, hey, we can rap in Spanish. Got you. Okay. Thank you. Uh, Need that. And if you ask me, I'm gonna say this to the public. I believe that you fathered the Chicano rap style. And now this is what I mean by Chicano rap style. We're not talking about the gangbang stuff. Yeah. But open the door for people to rap in Spanish. Okay, I remember I, I did a show in San Diego and I asked somebody a question and I said, what is Chicano rap? And he said, well, all I know that years ago is what he said. Years ago, I heard a record that inspired me to rap in Spanish. I go, how did it go? Cuando entro la casa, esto lo que pasa. And I said, did you know that was a Cuban? He goes, it was? Yeah. And I said, yeah. And he said, <laughs> That's crazy. No shit. Yeah. He didn't know. Yeah. So it's a possibility, at least I believe, that you fathered that style and opened up that door yeah. for people to be receptive and, uh, you know. Nothing surprises me anymore, Tom, realistically. I mean, when you're doing pioneering work, number one, you don't know that you are. And number two is you don't know who you're affecting. And so the beauty in that is that the stories never get old, number one. You know what I mean? And, and number two is you you just reflect back and, and you think to yourself, who else did it touch? Right. Who else did you inspire? You know what I mean? And so it's a beautiful thing. Now, now here's something that I, I listen to a lot of your interviews, and I don't know if anybody's ever asked you this. How was it back then? Was it hard or how much did it cost to clear evil ways from Santana? You know what? That paperwork I never saw. Okay. I know that at the time, Santana didn't own the body of work. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know whether he had some kind of financial problems in the 70s where somebody else was controlling that. Okay. Those masters. And so we had to pay her. And I don't remember exactly right now off top what we paid to be able to clear those samples and because it's two samples. It's evil ways and ain't got nobody to depend on. Right, right. And a little bit of crap work. And a little bit of crap. Well, that came later when Joe the Butcher did the remix. The remix. Yeah. Which was to me was like freaking amazing. Oh, it gave it another year's worth of spins. It was like yeah. a Latin planet rock. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. That's the way I see it as a DJ. That's the way I saw it. Now, okay, so now uh, what was the first single that dropped from that album? Do you remember? Was it yes. Rhyme Fighter? It was called Rhyme Fighter. Yeah. One of my favorite, favorite songs on that record. And I remember when I first heard uh, um, Cypress Hill album, and I knew you were connected with them. And again, we hadn't really talked it. I didn't see you. I saw you at the Rodium, I want to say maybe 89, 88. Yeah. And I didn't see you again till in San Francisco in 1992 at the Gavin Convention. Sure. Now, Cypress Hill had just dropped their first album. And um, I, I mean, there was a lot of things that I wanted to ask you, but I didn't want to approach you. So, uh, um, but when I first heard Beaver rapping, I thought that was like Rhyme Fighter style or at yeah. least that voice, sure. you know. 
Whether it was or not, only you can answer that. Yeah, I mean, it, it was. Um, see, B had a, a permanent broken nose at that time. And when he rhymed, it was like, Yo, oh, oh, you know, really deep like that, uh -huh. monotone. And I believe it was Muggs who asked him if he could come over and use my rhyme fighter style. Wow. Right? And I said, yeah, sure. I mean, we were a tight-knit unit. And I say that because that's what hip-hop was about. At that time, it was right. about unity, love, and, and let's hang out and let's right. make it together. Let's make it. And I was just like, yeah, I'm not tripping off that. It's just like when Sendog wrote um, Latin Lingo. I remember he was in New York cutting the record, and he called me back in L.A. at my mom's house, and he wanted to know how he got the style right, the bilingual style right, the, the yeah. Spanglish. Latin Lingo was dope. Yo, I mean, they laced that amazing. And I when he, when he said the rhyme... I said, yeah, you got the style. You got the style, you know, because I was the only one doing that style at that time. Right, you know, right. And um, and Sendog turned out Latin lingo. It was on another level because yeah. it was real tribal, funky, you know. And, and if, I, if, I, if I had a chance to do it all over again, it wouldn't have been Mentiros. I'd be something more like Latin right. lingo. Okay. But it is what it is. Now, Ryan Fighter drops. What's next? Mentirosa was the second single. Mentirosa, and on side B, if I'm correct, uh, uh, Welcome to My Group. Yes. Which was, to me, one of, to me, uh, because, see, I get this question a lot, because today we have DJs that, uh, you know, back then we were just DJs, so they call called turntablist. It's the same yeah. thing, just a different name. Okay, we have different names today. Back then on the SP1200, we would call Truncate. On uh, NPC, it would be Trim. You know, okay. same thing, just different names. Now, uh, um, one thing that um, I lost my damn freaking train of thought talking about the uh, uh, <laughs> talking about the SP twelve hundred, but now welcome to my group was a sample yeah. from a Saturday Night Fever song. Yes, and I love Saturday Night Fever. I grew yeah. up. We all did. Yeah, you know. We so did. when I heard that, so I hear you rapping in Spanish. Mas been gone. Ryan Fighter, a totally different voice. Yeah. Then you hear well, Ryan Fighter. I wrote because I had bought a book. Of Western gunslingers, mm -hmm. Jesse James, uh, the Billy, Billy the, the Kid, kid yeah. and all these other things, and I was like, "Man, this is a dope book. I should write a song with a parody to hip hop, where I'm shooting up MCs and so, you know what I mean." But lyrically, lyrically, right? yeah. And that's how that one came about. Now, when you're talking about songs like "Welcome to My Groove," uh, that was again Tony G's brilliance. You know what I mean? It really was because he. Were you in favor of it? Not really at first, <laughs> but, you know, my thing was I was so versatile that I knew I could tap into anything that anybody brought me, whether it was English, Spanish, uh, bilingual, Spanglish, rock, rap, uh, tribal Cuban, Afro-Cuban, right. Right. Uh, whatever it was, ballad, you got a ballad, and yeah. if I like it, yeah. I'll do a ballad, and on that album, I think I did too. Yeah, yeah. Remember when rappers was doing ballads? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I need love. Yeah, big one. Now, Mentirosa drops. Did you see? Did it take a while, or did it automatically explode? To be honest with you, Mentirosa. You know, the whole record was an experiment, real realistically, because I didn't didn't have a clue when I sat down. Like this is how I want the album to sound. Right. Um. It it, it came more like an experiment. Like if. Tony G had a beat that was fly, we went with that. If Def Jeff had a beat that was fly, we went with that. If DJ Muggs had a track that was fly, we went with it. 
What happened in the middle of that was creating a cornucopia of versatility, if you will. And so I think the the experiment and formulating, dropping the seeds, you know, in as well, all culminated in what it became. So to answer your question, we were to a point after Rhyme Fighter where the record, we couldn't give it away. Wow. To be honest with you, Rhyme Fighter didn't sell very well. And so the record company, Capitol Records, came to me and said, look, we're going to put out this next one. And if it doesn't work, you know, uh, we're going to have to let you go. Right. And so in the interim, because remember, we're experimenting a lot of the way. One of my A&R ladies comes to me and says, we want to try, you know, that Cuban hat you wear around town with the Guayaveta sh with that shirt. I go, yeah, the Guayaveta, right? She's like, we want to try that look for a photo shoot to match that Mentiroso record that we're going to drop as the second single. I said, all right, cool. So we go do a photo shoot, come back. The record gets released to radio platforms first. And then... And then I want you to hold that thought. Okay. Okay, because we're going to go to a commercial. Okay, I'm going to introduce the next song. It's called Callejera. It was produced by me. And I want to say 96 or 97. We actually recorded all these songs at Steve Yano Studios, Stanley Studios in the city of Alhambra. And uh, me and Melo, we hooked up together. Uh, we created this album that was never, ever released. We shopped it around. As a matter of fact, Jerry Heller was, was managing us, but we'll talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. And um, I created this. We, I created, come in with a beat that was, it is, Mentirosa inspired me. So we came up with Callejera. Yeah, you rapped that Mentirosa a, a style, and I remember you didn't want to. Yeah, I remember that, but I was like, we gotta, we gotta get the pub public what they want. Yeah. After that, we have this new song called Muy Sexy. Yeah. Which we call Latin Dance Hall, and this song will be out soon. As a matter of fact, we're gonna be working on a video for the second song. So you're gonna hear two songs, Callejera and Muy Sexy. Let us know what you guys think. Leave a comment. I don't care if it's negative, positive, talk crap, whatever. You know, but leave a comment. And uh, when we come back, I'm going to announce the, the date for the documentary. You don't want to miss that, okay? So please stay tuned, and we'll come back. And Johnny Boy, please take us away. Yo, welcome back to Rolling Radio. Thanks, everybody, for uh, tuning in and for, uh, you know, uh, staying online with us. I got Mellow Man Ace in the building. Uh, those were two songs that you just heard. The first one was Callejera, which was done in 1997, uh, 96, 97, somewhere around there. Uh, that album was, once again, was called uh, 1998, because it was supposed to come out in 1998. During that time, we were managed by uh, Jerry Heller. Uh, 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 may you rest in peace, uh, Jerry Heller, manager for Easy e the whole NWA camp. And the second song was a song called Muy Sexy. All these songs were produced by me. The second song was a new song that Melo Menace will eventually be uh, performing uh, after we get the video done. We're working on that now. So stay tuned on that. Melo Menace got some new music coming out. Uh, um, Melo Menace hasn't lost it, you guys. So you have to uh, continue to follow him, support. Uh, I'll tell you what, every time I see a show of his, uh, whether I'm a part of it or whether I'm just there to support him, it's something always different. So uh, continue to support. Uh, at the end of this one here, I'm going to be sharing with you guys when I'll be releasing the documentary. On our next break, I'm going to uh, play two songs. Uh, Mellow Menace, featuring Cypress Hill, Be Real, Send Dog. And then the last song would be Mellow Menace, 
featuring Tina Marie, a song called Loving You. And uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. So welcome back, Mellow Man Ace. Thank you for uh, coming and being a part of Rodian Radio, Episode 1. We were talking about, um, so Capitol Records tells you, you know, Ryan Fighter ain't selling. We can't even give it away. Yeah. We're going to try Mentirosa. Yeah. So when that song dropped, obviously you guys did the video, promotion. You got the look now, the Guayabera. You know, you got the hat, which is classic to me. Good look. When it dropped, did it take off immediately or eventually? Uh, immediately. 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 Here's why. They put it on Make It or Break It on Power 106. And in the first week, it beat Janet Jackson, Madonna, New Kids on the Block, and whoever else after that. We didn't care anymore after that. Now, for the public that may not know or that possibly wasn't around during that time, what yeah. year did that drop? That came out in 1990. 1990. Now, yeah. Make It or Break It on Power 106 was, it was the, the fans that would call. Yeah. And say, make it or break it. In yes. other words, they will put you up against another song. Yeah. And when you saw that it was beating all of these, you know, these awesome singers. Yeah. What, what was your thought process, man? I remember exactly like it was yesterday because I remember every day I would go to Julio G's house where we would go in the backyard and hit the weights. Right. Uh -huh. And we'd listen to the radio. And By the way, we need to start going back to the gym, we too. Need to so. go back to the gym. Um so we'd hit the weights, listen to the radio in his garage. And we would be like, wow, we just beat Janet Jackson. And wow, we just beat Madonna. And so by the third day, we knew, we looked at each other, just oddly, we go, we're going on tour. Yeah. And that's what happened. Now, do you remember when you first heard Mentirosa on the radio? And how did that feel? If you do remember. Um... The one I, I remember hearing for the first time on the radio was Mas Bingon. Okay. And and that was because Greg Mack on 1580K Day. Greg Mack being the DJ. Being the DJ on air personality was the first one to put it on um, and, and really helped to break my career or just, you know, spawn my career. And, and what was very interesting to me was that it was an all Spanish record on an all black format. Yeah. So that in itself, I mean, they played some high energy stuff right. that he's reminded me over the years. Like, yo, man, right. we played high energy stuff, you know, uh, Line, TKA taps. and yeah, uh, the two in the room. I mean, uh, Diamond Girl, who yes. those guys? Yeah, yes, I, I, I uh, nice and wild, you know, nice Lisa, and Lisa, and stuff like that. Two of so, Hearts, yeah, Two of Hearts, all that stuff. And but that one I re I remember because that's your first baby born, you yeah. know what I mean? And and even when you know I might have heard Mentirosa on the air on on an FM station, it didn't have the same impact as listening to your okay. very first baby okay. on the radio. The reason why I asked is because I remember I was in Frisco and we were at KMEL. Yeah, I had a hard time saying that KMEL. And uh, me and High C where we were doing a, a, you know, a little interview like this. And the guy asked me about a certain song on uh, my album. And the song was called Too Drunk to Fuck. Uh -huh. But I That's said, too drunk to fuck. yeah, I said, uh, the song is titled Too Drunk to F. And because of that, he said this. He said, I respect 
that you didn't curse on my radio station. He said, I've had people that have come. He said, famous people. He said, what, which I won't even mention and had no respect for this radio station or for me. And I went ahead and cursed like it was nothing. Yeah. You know, he said they felt maybe because they were on top that they could talk or say whatever they want. Yeah. He said, but I, he said, I'm going to tell you something. He goes, I don't really like you guys' record. Uh, it was, I'm not your puppet. We're trying to push. Yeah. And, you know, that wasn't very encouraging, but he said, but I like you. He said, cause you respected KMEL. He says, so I'm going to put your song on regular rotation. And, and, and I think that is very important even today because there, I met some guys that are just jackasses, man. You know, same here. And, and I've always had respect for people. And I remember going into Steve's van. It was me, Steve, high C, name G in the van. Mm-hmm. And we turned on KMEL and they gave us a shout out and then they played it. Yeah. Man, I, I remember like it was yesterday. I had goosebumps because the reason why I was so excited was because I created that song in my bedroom on a mixtape, never thinking it would ever, you know, leave my room. Yeah. And I ended yeah, up getting yeah. a record deal on my mixtape. So that's why I asked about Menterosa because I know Menterosa was such a bigger record than, uh, uh, um, you know, I'm not your puppet. Now, let me bring this up because I want to make sure I cover some things. You are the first Latino being a Cuban to ever go gold. And for people that don't know what gold is. And platinum. And platinum. Gold being 500,000 record Units sales. sold, yeah. Not streams. No. You know, we're talking about records sold. Yeah. Cassettes, um, albums, yeah. whatever. Platinum is one million. One million. So you can say I sold a million records. See, today... Uh, um, I think it was announced that Mariah Carey had over 130 million streams. She got paid $30,000. Yeah. Totally different from back then. A million records. So that's amazing. And to be the first Latino to do it. Now, I know yeah. people have said, mm-hmm. no, it was big pun. Big yeah. pun, rest in peace. No disrespect. But I'm sorry. It was Melo Manes. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. And I believe that you deserve that credit. Because can nobody deny that? You know, that's already in, in, in the books. I mean, those, you know, recipes, big pun, like you said, but, you know, those release dates don't lie. And, you know, I'm also the first Latino to go gold in Mexico. Yeah. That's something that I hold dear to my heart. That was really important to me because I grew up around all Mexican yeah. um, uh, people in my neighborhood of Southgate. So that was really v- valuable to me. But, yeah, I mean... Again, people can say what they want when they have the podium, right. when they have the floor, and they're the in thing. But at the end of the day, there's people that do research these things that they right. say. And, you know, it's unfortunate that he would go out like that, you know. And I'd sit back and I'd watch, you know, right. and, and just be like, man, I was never that dude that ate up all the shine or took all the credit. Right. You know, and since day one, I've been saying, you know, Mr. Shika, the mean machine. And that's who right. I, I give the credit to for, for my mentorship. Right. Uh, the Ram LZ, people like that. So, I mean. See, and the, the difference between not that we're better than this generation, but we're different. And this is what I mean. You have a generation today that believes in order for me to get some type of um, either publicity, radio play or likes, or views, they have to diss a legend, like there's people that have dissed Tupac now that he's dead. I mean, Tupac, rest in peace. 
there's people that have said, oh, that music is boring or you guys are old. I remember I was at Peppers, uh, if I'm correct, off the 60 freeway. Sure. Where I met uh, uh, Curtis Blow and Melly Mel together. Mm-hmm. Now, I was shocked because they just walked into the front door. Nobody recognized them. Yeah. But I did because I remember on my yellow manila folder, my peachy folder, mm-hmm. going to junior high, I used to write Curtis Blow King a rap. Yeah, and that yeah. was my favorite rapper. Sure. Okay. And when I saw him, I said, Curtis Blow. And he turned around. I shook his hand. I held it with both hands. And I said, do you mind if I share with you something? And he said, sure. And I shared with him that story. Yeah. You know, how breaks, tough, Christmas rapping. And I even rapped a little bit of his rap. Sure. And he was humbled. And he was really honored. Yeah. And, I, and I now, I don't know if he would admit this now. But I remember I asked him, what are you guys doing here? And he said, well, man, we ain't got no more love in New York. Yeah. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's yeah. what he told me. And then he introduced me to Melly Mel, and I said, The Message, Survival, Scorpio. And I just kept going. I was like, wow. Yeah. Now, fast forward to today. You got kids that are dissing legends. That's why I believe in paying homage to people like yourself who have paved the way and opened the door. Because when we started, hip-hop was new. There wasn't a market out for it. These companies were still learning, you know? Sure. And today... People like yourself have paved the way for people to eat now. And they don't pay homage to people that have laid down the foundation. Yeah. And and that's why... I, I mean, w- there's guys that do. You know, okay. there's guys that do, but there's much more that don't. And they think they're very special and they think they're cute because they got the newest thing out or whatever. Right, but, right. you know, you're, you're going to see that, you know. Sometimes I, I get off my humble tip. Uh-huh. And sometimes I just gotta let them know, like, yeah, yeah. I've seen them come and go, bro. Like, mostly go. Yeah. So you know, this was a tough one because it was late last year. Because we're friends on Facebook, and I saw somebody comment on your post talking about you only helped yourself. Yes. Okay. Yes, I remember that. You know, it, I didn't. I didn't get. The whole thing. So I remember I called you and we were talking. Yeah. And somebody was talking shit to you. Yeah. You know, uh, um, w- w- what did these people get off? And w- w- what started all that? Do you remember? You know what? I, I really couldn't tell you. I mean, and I know who you're talking about is somebody that everybody knows. And it's from a rap group that, if you ask me, took my style. Right. You know, and used my style to get on. So I was very... um Number one, disappointed in right. him, you know, because knowing that I'm I'm the source of his income, really, when you take my style and you're making a living out of it, right? it was very, you know, disappointing. It's a little letdown because I know this brother well, right. and he's even been there for me in, 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 in crucial times. And so I, I just had to let him know, like, how did I not help you? Right. Because you're using my style. I did a song for you on your album. Right. Uh, and I forget what other things I told him. You right, know what I mean? Right. And it's like, I, you know, when, when you get that type of stuff, you kind of get a temperature gauge for how some brothers might be thinking right, out here. Right, right, And unfortunately for that brother, I'll never fuck with him again. Right. Do, do you still get shit talkers every once in a while hit you up on social media or? You know what? Nah. Okay. Nah, I really... Every, everything, you know, I never put myself, my aura out there to be 
pounding on my chest and right, you right. know throwing up shit and my aura has always been let's have a party right that's my aura that's okay. how i make these records they may not always be the funkiest records they right. may not always be the hardest record right. but i make the record that i feel that my versatility needs to hit you with right now mm-hmm. so okay you know well I mean, I really wish I had more time. We still got a little bit of time, but I want to ask you something that I believe a lot of people want to know. Where is your relationship with your brother Sendog right now? Because I know, yeah. if I'm correct, you guys haven't spoken in a while. Yeah. And the reason why I ask that is because I come from, once again, five brothers and four sisters. Yeah. I had brothers. We never necessarily threw blows, but we would wrestle and push each other, etc. And it, it hurt my parents that I wouldn't talk to my brother for almost three to four years. Yeah. And, and really what it does, it hurts our parents. So I guess I'm asking and people want to know, uh, where is Mellow and Sin today? Yeah. Well, you know, the, the beauty in that question, and I, I, I like that question because we both come from a crew of groups that we, for the most part, keep things in-house very right. tight. But I will say this, my brother and I got into a family dispute about 11 years ago, and we haven't been the same since. Okay. And so where are we today? We are where we were 11 years ago. Okay. Um, but, you know, who's to say that tomorrow right. I may not pick up the phone and call him, and he might pick up the phone and call me. Right. Um, I think the healing process needs to take place right. in terms of there's some apologies that need to take place. I won't get into specifics. Of course, of course. You, you know, uh, I won't get into specifics, but I think, you know, that that healing needs to take place with the conversation of apologies first. And I think everything else can follow in domino effect after that. We can start drinking beers again. We can start maybe right. even making music again. Right. But this had nothing to do with music. And, right. I, and I want the fans to understand that, that it wasn't a, oh, Send Dog's not giving Mello his royalties or, or something right, like that, which happens a lot in the business. This was a family thing. It was a, a Reyes thing. And, and then, you know, we still have to iron it out. Okay. You know what I mean? Well, my next question is pretty similar, um, and it has to do with the same group. Where are you at with B-Real right now? Yeah. Well, B-Real is a whole different entity for me. Well, you know, when is the last time you talked to him? 11 years ago. And here's why. I was going through a divorce, right? I was going through a divorce, and um, he didn't, he needed me to come out to Brazil with him and Snoop Dogg, right? But at the time, I'm going through a divorce and a custody battle for my children. So instead of him calling me direct and asking me why I couldn't go, he had somebody else call me, another dude. From the camp. Yeah. And I basically told him, bro, I can't jet out right now because I'm in the middle of custody for right. my kids or whatnot. Which, if you see me, you know how I, I move for my kids. And and I think it was just a lack of communication. He could have just called me. Right. And I think if he would have just called me, I would have just, you know what? Talk to my lawyer and say, look, let's postpone this. Let's move it back. This is right. crucial that I do this. But honestly, I think he's still upset about with me about not going to Brazil. 
Okay. And, and realistically, who doesn't want to go to Brazil of course. with Snoop Dogg and be real? Of course. Right? So, you know, if he's watching this, I hope that he can understand my position of where I was at the time. And, you know, I, I harbor no ill will right. towards him. He's always tried to help my career in certain things that he's done. And, you know, I just wish him the best. But at the end of the day, is, you know, I, I'm still, I have to survive as Mellow Man Ace. I'm still Mellow Man Ace every right, day. Right. Did you listen to their last album? No. Okay. No. Uh, the reason why I asked you about your brother is because uh, people that knew that I was going to be interviewing you were texting me and asked, are we ever going to see the Reyes brothers again? Yeah. But for those of you that may not know what the, who the Reyes brothers are, Mellow Man Ace, Sendog, yeah. uh, they did an album together. You got, as a matter of fact, you got that apparel and stuff like that. Absolutely. Well. Yeah, that, great I, time while it lasted. Yeah, yeah, as a matter of fact, I seen the pictures at your house that you still have up. Yeah. I thought that was really dope. I mean, because I met Sen. Uh, well, actually, I met him before you introduced me to him. Because I think when you introduced me to him, it was uh, there. We were at the Temple of Boom Bash. It was the the third album had just dropped. Okay. And this was actually before Bobo, if I'm correct. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, but I had met him in Miami, and I had talked to him a couple of times. You know, I told him that I had met you. I was a fan, and et cetera. And then I got reacquainted with him when I hooked up with you. I want to say like '96, if I'm correct. Sure. But. For the people that may not know how me and you started working, let me just share that really quick. Yeah, yeah. I remember one day you showed up to Steve's studio, and you were sitting there, and I remember I was eating a Subway sandwich, and I I wasn't sure that was you because during that time you had shaved your head. Yeah. Okay? And I remember you kept looking at my sandwich, and then I said, man, you want a piece? And you go, yeah. I said, all right, here you go. You go, thanks for looking the fuck out, man. You know, so yeah. we broke bread, and we ate, and I said, what are you doing? He goes, oh, I'm here to meet Crazy D. Yeah. And I said, okay. So I said, I got some beats. You want to check them out? So I started playing them. And then I remember you asked me, um, if I write to them, you know, uh, can I have them? That's what you said. And I said, uh, sure, you know, let, we'll, we'll work something out. I mean, cause in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, you work with Tony G. Now you work, you're going to work with Tony A. So, um, the next day, I remember you called me. It was at night and <clears throat> you said, and it's so old school, bro. And I love it. You know, he said, hey, I, I wrote to him. And I said, oh, you did? Let me listen to him. And you said, but I wrote to all of them. And I go, all three of them? This was like the next day. Yeah. And I said, do you mind rapping them to me? You know? And um, he said, sure. And I remember you press play over the phone. Yeah. And just rapping them to me. And I'll, I'll be honest. With you, I was like a little kid, bro. I was like, this fool right here, you know. <laughs> hey, hey, I mean, it was one of them was "Don't Go," one of the songs that we played. I remember that, yeah. You know, and I just thought it was amazing. I remember I called up Steve and I said, "Hey, dude, I'm working with Melo Man." He said, "Really?" And I go, "Yeah, dude." I said, yeah. "I need you. To, I need you to give me some studio time." Now, let me break down what studio time consisted of. Let me go back to the "I'm Not Your Puppet" so that people today can understand what we had to go through. You know, we just didn't get on a laptop and start pounding out beats. No, you know. No. Just to buy a two-inch reel was like about 120 bucks, and you could only fit maybe about three songs, which were possibly, possibly, it would take three to four minutes each song. So you could only literally fit about three songs, okay? We rented Studio Time Audio Achievements, and I remember Donovan rented to every hour for us was 75 bucks, and it had to be a 10-hour minimum. Damn. Okay? Yeah. So you have 10 hours, 75, and really, in 10 hours, you possibly could knock out, possibly, if you work fast, maybe two songs. Yeah. Okay. Now you got to hire musicians to come in and play keyboards, 
Okay, it's about 200 bucks. Now you got to hire a guitar, you know, either bass or lead. And if they cut you a break, maybe it's 250 bucks. Yeah. So you're in the hole now. That's not even including pictures if you're going to do it yourself. Yeah. Promotion, magazines, billboards, whatever, if you're doing it yourself. Yeah. You're possibly in the hole about $3,000. And your record's not even out yet. Yeah. That's why I believe our music was somewhat different because we wanted it. Today, it's a lot simpler. Not saying that these kids today don't want it, but they need to appreciate and see the things that we went through that we had to blow money to make to make money. Yeah, you know? definitely. It, it's an investment. Yes. And a lot of young cats come in the game and they know how to rap real well, mm -hmm. but they don't have a business sense. You know what I mean? In terms of investing, getting some of that money, creating some merch, you know, investing back into yourself. Um, and those are the guys that never really make it at all. You yeah. know, it's the ones that do invest in themselves right. that end up blowing the roof through it. I knew this one guy, okay? He would buy, like, these expensive jeans. He said they cost him, like, 500 bucks. I'm not going to... I'll buy 501s, bro. I yeah. still wear Nike Cortez and a white T-shirt. That's probably about less than $100 right there. Yeah. Okay? This okay. guy would buy, like, for Agamo belts, Jordans, 200. So he had over... A thousand dollars, but of merchandise yes. on him. And, but he would ask me, "I, I want to buy beats." So I would tell him my price, and he yeah. said, "Well, I only pay twenty five dollars for beats." But he would invest in the way he looked, yeah, and not necessarily invest in himself. Sure. And that's where these cats are today. You need to invest in yourself. Absolutely. Be before you look the part, be the part. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Pe yeah. People always tell me, you know, what type of uh, message do you give this next generation? And, and, and that's one thing I want to ask you, but here's the way I, I answered it. I always tell them, you know what? Um, make sure if you have a dream, pursue it, you know, go for your dreams. I always encourage them. I don't want to discourage anyone from pursuing their dreams, but if you're going to get in this game, I say, please have the talent to, to back up that dream. Because once that door opens, your talent's going to have to speak for itself, man. Yeah. You know, so I, I always tell them they go hand in hand. You, you have a dream, pursue it. But have talent, man. You know. My my story like that has changed over the years. Okay. You know, 30 years ago, it was like, yeah, go for it. You could do it. You can make it. Right. 20 years ago, it was, man, just make sure you're doing it right. right. Get a good team. Have a great lawyer. All the cliches, yes. right? Now, it's just leave this shit to the pros, bro. Yeah. Leave it to the pros. Get a day job. Help your family. And... Because I understand what it takes for them to get on now. Right. You know, uh, chances are, and no hating to anybody, right. chances are they're going to have to have lipstick on, a, a wedding dress, and, and, you know, a handbag and stuff like that. So I, I say to the young cats, you know, that's, that's my spiel, you know. Right, right. So what can people expect from Mellow Man Ace today uh, and going forward? Uh, yeah. What is it that you're doing or um, what is it you're gonna bring? I know we got we just played some new music. We got that coming out. Yeah. Uh, uh, what is it that you're working on? You working? Wait, with did we already artists? play uh, "Loving Sexy. You" and everything? No, we're okay. about to. Okay. All right, bet, bet. But but uh, uh, we we played "Muy Sexy," which was uh, uh, what we call the Latin dance hall. Yes. Okay. Uh, so what can people expect from Melo Manes soon? Well, I mean, I just did a song with Frankie J. Okay. For his album, and I just did a song with Kid Frost. Uh, Steve Salas 
and and Sal from War, uh, and we we remade the classic from Tierra. Uh, I'm gonna find her. Okay, and it's part of the Godfathers of Latin Hip Hop oh. album. So that's those are the songs that I've, I've I've done so far. I'm not really tracking any like Mellow Man Ace okay. stuff. You know, I'm just not excited about the game and okay. how the landscape is out there where we do things uh, for views, comments, and, right. you know. Now, and I then you, you got so many haters that go on your videos thread and, you fucking suck, you're a fucking, you know. Yeah. You get all that and you're just like, you know and what? And you just do it on purpose. Yeah. You know, there's some people that's out there trolling it like that. So I'm just like. I'm cool off that part. Plus, I'm not getting booked for that. Right, right. You know right, what I mean? Right. I get booked for the classic stuff. Right, right. right. So, um, I, I know you had told me a while back that you were doing a song with Lisa Lisa. Did that ever happen? You know what? We haven't finished that record. Okay. We haven't finished that record. That's why I didn't throw it out there like that. But the other thing that has me really excited is I started a, a content creating company with a buddy by the name of Damiano Regosa. Uh, Herb, who's Long Beach guy, real okay. hip hop dude. He's a director. Uh, another guy by the name of Mac and Jawan. I think they're all Long Beach dudes. And what I wanted to do was, well, I took a look at the landscape in terms of of documentaries of paying homage to Latinos. Yeah. And there was nothing there that I could tap into. So I started a documentary called Dale Dudo, and it's tracking. Latinos of all walks of life, um, their influence on modern day culture and shaping modern day culture. And we're talking about from Ricky Ricardo to Alexis Arguello to Fernando Valenzuela to George Lopez, George Lopez to Mellow Man Ace, Cypress Hill, Big Pun, Cardi B, Dope. Tony A. You know what I mean? Like it encompasses everything. Dope. Not it's not a hip hop thing. It's not a. It's it's a Latino thing. Oh, oh. and and that really got me excited. So we we've we've started filming that stuff, and we have some great stories from from a lot of different people, uh, from Big Les of BET to yeah. Mike Ross and Mario C and Danny Trejo, and it's just amazing. You know, when we started to put it together and, and that's what really has me excited right now. You know, uh, the other day you posted up a picture with you and Frost in the studio and, I, and I'll be honest yeah. with you, as a fan and me knowing you guys, you know, you guys are my friends, but you know, I'm still a fan of the music. You know, uh, I was glad to see that you guys were in the studio still working, you know, still, still, still doing your thing. And, and I can't wait to hear that. I'm sure the, the public, uh, uh, can't wait to hear that, you know, and I'm glad yeah. that they got a taste of your new song, Muy Sexy, yeah. the land dance hall track that we did together. And working with you, 96, 97, 98, to me was amazing. One thing that I tell everybody that I work with, because I've been in the studios with Cube, Easy, Dre, Quick, and those guys. Yeah. And they've always asked me, who do you think is the best rapper that you've worked with? And I've never said, well, I didn't think he was the best, but I say, I say the most versatile rapper has to be hands down Melo Manese. The most versatile. You want all a song in Spanish, he can do it. Spanglish, he can do it. You want him to do some, some reggaeton dancehall stuff, he can do it. You want him to do some house stuff, he can do it. Just so versatile. Thank you. Bro. You, know, you want to change your voice. Just to tell those guys that. You yeah. Know, that's bro. major. Thank I, you. I mean, that's the truth. I mean, I know they didn't like it, but I didn't give a damn because I'm going to get it from the gut. Yeah. 
you know. But sure. I'm glad that you were here for episode one. And in the future, possibly in the beginning of the year, I would like to have you back, you know. Uh, but before I, I make my final announcements, I see that you have a Patriots helmet there. Hold that up so that people can see it, man, because I know yeah. that's your football team, correct? Is that your team, man? Yeah, bro. Okay, give us a prediction. Yeah. Give us a prediction. What, what, well, do you, what do you see? I know it's early. Okay. I mean, we talk football. A lot of people, a lot of a lot of football fans. I know, I know. You were in my living room the uh, last year when I told you earlier this year, right? Who was gonna, you know? Um, football fans see ha have a tendency of watching with their heart. I don't. Right. Okay. I watch from an analytical standpoint of what's going on. Right. So even though the I'm a Patriot dude, I wasn't always. Mm -hmm. My first love was the Buffalo Bills. I remember that. And we lost four Super Bowls in a row. Right. Two of them to, to, to you guys, yeah. right? And so that's when I said, I can't support this sorry-ass <laughs> team. And I switched up after the last Super Bowl loss the, the Bills had to the Patriots. And I think Drew Bledsoe was the quarterback right. at that time. And and we got lucky. We got we drafted Tom Brady and whatnot. Anyway, long story short is I, I even – the Patriots, I don't watch them with my heart because at the end of the day, I'm not making a dollar off this right, shit. Right, right, you feel right. me? It's a game. It's a game. It's grown dudes getting a lot of money playing a kid's game. So, that said, let's talk football. What you want to talk about? Well, my prediction yeah. for the Super Bowl. Now, I'm going to be biased, okay? Cowboys and Patriots Super Bowl. I that, can dig it. That's who I thought last year. I can dig we it. we were close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, my yeah, guess, let's just call it thing. that. Let's call it that. And then we'll get together for the party at your house. Most definitely. All right. Most. Thank you for coming. Oh, uh, uh, we'll do it again soon. Uh, now, the song that you're about to hear is a song that I produced. Well, the next two songs that I produced feature Be Real and Send Dog together. Hip-hop, old-school sample that I, uh, uh, I, I actually produced in my living room. We were living at a one-bedroom apartment at the time. I produced in my living room and um, came out really, really dope. To be working with B-Real, to work with Sen and Mellow was incredible. The second song, that, that song is actually called Latin Connects. Latin Connects. And uh, the song after that, you're going to hear a song, Mellow Manes, featuring Tina Marie. Uh, the late, great Tina Marie, the amazing woman, Tina, Tina Marie. Working with her, uh, it was just like a concert. It was, it was amazing. And those are things that uh, will live with me forever to be able to call her and to be able to work with her to mic her up to be able to record her and you're going to hear her amazing amazing vocals like i said leave comments on these songs you know if you like it cool if you don't like it doesn't cool. matter cool whatever i understand now the official date for the documentary is november 1st i'm sorry november 4th november 4th 4th that's a monday and it's only going to be available on our website, documixery.com. The reason why we chose to do that was because every time we had a meeting with whether it would be Netflix, Amazon, whatever, we had like 10 meetings. And the majority of these people weren't even born in Southern California. Um, they were born in Pennsylvania, Detroit, Wisconsin, or whatnot. They were all in their either late 20s early 30s, and they didn't understand the West Coast hip-hop culture. They didn't understand that uh, um, 
the Rodion Swami with Steven Susan was a huge cornerstone to West Coast hip-hop. I've never said that um, hip-hop started at the Rodion Swami. I never said that. What I am saying is that it was a huge cornerstone. Uh, I set out to direct this documentary because Steve Yano gave me my first job at the age of 11 years old. I didn't get I worked with him for about three years. I got reacquainted with him in 1987. I was about 19 years old. We started doing mixtapes and eventually music, uh, etc. Now he passed away uh, five years ago, and I did this so that his name would not get lost in West Coast hip hop history. When we think of West Coast hip hop history, we always think of uh, N.W.A. and Death Row and a little bit of Tupac, and it pretty much stops there. This was before that. How uh, quoting Arabian Prince, he said, the NWA music hit the Rhodium Swamp Me tapes first. And you're going to hear that quote at the very end of these songs. You will see the official trailer. Now, after you see the official trailer, we're done. I'll be back next Wednesday with a brand new guest. Uh, uh, in order for you to know what guest that is, you're going to have to log in to my Instagram, which is Tony the Wizard. Or uh, uh, on my Facebook, Tony Alvarez, and you're going to see the new post for uh, uh, the the my next guest that I'll be interviewing next week. I believe, in my opinion, the guy that I'm interviewing next week has the hottest record of 2019 being an independent artist. Being an independent artist, I believe he has the hottest album. Why do I say that? Because I found it very hard to skip through songs, and it's very hard to find a CD like that these days. So... Stay tuned for that. Once again, Latin Connects, Mellow Manage featuring uh, um, Cypress Hill, Mellow Manage featuring Tina Marie. November 4th, the documentary will be dropping on our website. And again, I'll share next week uh, 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 why we had to release it on a smaller scale because a lot of these people didn't really understand the West Coast uh, hip-hop slash rap culture. Uh, they wanted to change the name. They wanted to re-edit it. They wanted to call it the Lost Tapes of NWA. They wanted to make it about Dre. And it's not about them. Much love and respect to them. But this was about Steve Yano. So we're going to leave it as is and release it ourselves. And one thing that I've always told those, those companies, I didn't make it for you. I didn't make it for the industry. I made it for the fans. And I guarantee you, uh, uh, you will not be disappointed. You know. And if you are, you can go ahead and blast me. I don't care, but I, I guarantee you, you will not be disappointed. Now, before we go to Latin Connects, uh, uh, before we go to Loving You and to the official trailer, um, I want to give a shout out to uh, my boy, John Elkins. I like to call him John motherfucking Elkins. J.E. Visuals on Instagram, because without him, I have to say this wouldn't be possible. That guy is the jack of all trades. You know, sometimes we say the jack of all trades, the master of none. No, he's mastered everything. You know, and he's been down with me since day one. Second, I want to give a shout out to my boy Daniel Jones, DG, DG Media Clips. I, you always see me tagging him on Instagram. Big shout out to him. He had a huge part in his documentary. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Boomer uh, when Boomer did it, the Remedy Yard, doing our sound. Roger Mera for doing our sound. And uh, uh, Kerry Fujita from South Bay Drones, an amazing drone guy. These guys helped me bring this documentary to fruition. And I'm very blessed to have them on my team. This is this is my team. So once again, thank you, Mellow Manage, for coming out and chopping it up with me. I had a blast to be able to sit here and to interview guys that I grew up listening to. It, it's just amazing, man. So thank you. 
And uh, John, take us away next week. Tony the Wizard.